Hey there, I just wanted to give a little bit of a disclaimer here. As you can see, I'm taking the fail it till you nail it to the extreme and uh, trying out some things. In this specific episode, two problems I had. Uh, both of our audios were mixed into one. Typically, Zoom gives me an audio file for the speaker and for myself. Uh, in this case, I didn't have that option checked. And there's a little bit of background noise during some of the parts of the show. It could be because I'm too close to the file and I'm too close in analyzing it myself, but I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, as I do each episode, I'm trying to work on new and better ways of editing them and making sure that uh, the information gets across to you. Any new interviews that I do, I try to incorporate all of my past failures into how I plan out those interviews. So for the very few people who are listening at this point, I'm leaving these failures as is, and hopefully you'll see a progression over time as to the exact mix of how much polish there should be in one of these episodes. And I hope you enjoy. Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Uh, hey there, everybody. This is Ben Courier, and uh, this is this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I'm here with Stephen Ross, who's uh, another Colorado person. Uh, hey there, Stephen. How are you? I'm great, Ben. Glad to have you. And can you just give the listeners a little bit of insight as to how you found me and reached out to me? Well, the I, <laughs> it's hilarious how I found you. I heard you pose a question on Seth Godin's Akimbo podcast and you says this is Ben from Colorado and I'm the failure guy and I said oh I definitely have to talk to this guy <laughs> because that's I've spent 16 plus years knocking on doors as a real estate agent I know what it's like to fail every day I love that you have an industry where you can fail much more than I can, meaning like your your failure rate in terms of like a total number of them, I'm sure is much higher. And even we're talking about failure in terms of rejection, rejection from like a, a door that you knocked on that didn't treat you well, stuff like that. But I don't know. I don't know that even the realm or the range of types of failures you can encounter doing door to door stuff. Um, there is a huge range of failures and we can definitely get into a couple specific ones. So, uh, like I said, we're going to start out with like, a, you know, a shameless brag or a humble self-promotion, whatever you want to call it, where you get to brag as much as you'd like for like a minute or two, uh, just so that people can understand, A, uh, you know, how many good things are going on, because some people just just have failures. So I imagine you've had some success in some sort, and uh, I'd love to inform them of that before we get into more of the downside and the, uh, the more difficult pieces. Sure. I think... You know, I definitely, you know, I'm originally from California. I grew up in Southern California. Oh, what part? And uh, I also got this, I was in Los Angeles. I'm moving to California in April and uh, Southern probably. And I don't know anywhere to go. I don't know what's not crazy expensive and stuff. So I didn't know if you have any tips for, for what parts of Southern Cali are like really cool to visit for someone who's, I mean, to live there if you've never lived there. Yeah, the cheap part of California is called... Um, Nevada. 
<laughs> I know, I know. What I mean, I mean relative cheapness, like the lesser of many expensive evils. Yeah, well, I, I definitely can give you some ideas, some tips on that. So cool. uh, you'll, you'll have to hit me up later. Yeah, we can definitely connect uh, on that separately. So you started out, um, so sorry, you continue your story. You're in California. Yeah, and uh, when I got into real estate in 2005, uh, you know, I'd had a, a successful career in consulting. I was chief technology officer for a startup. I had done a lot of, I'd gone to UCLA. I'd worked on Wall Street. I'd lived in New York, a lot of cool stuff. And, uh, you know, I got in real estate in 2005 and it was not anything I expected it to be. Um, but the, the key point about getting into real estate in 2005 was I had two little, I was married at the time. I had two little boys and then uh, I had a daughter on the way. So I got my license March 15th, 2005. And my daughter was born, um, you know, six weeks later. So here I am uh, with three children in a commission only business. And yeah. Um, but but the real reason I got into real estate was is I didn't want to commute. I didn't want to travel. I didn't want to work 15-hour days. I wanted to raise my family. That is the yeah. sole reason. And so here I am 16 plus years later, and that's what I got to do. I, I got to raise my kids. And yeah. that's uh, awesome. It is by far my biggest accomplishment. I don't know if you know buildings in Denver either. Do you, do you like um, single family or do you do commercial real estate what kind of real I'm, estate do you i'm a single i'm a residential guy so single family homes okay cool because i worked at a company a real estate company i was doing asset management for like office buildings so like 10 story ones where we'd have to you know do the whole leasing schedule and all that stuff so but so i do finance and accounting i do spreadsheets but i always love every time i get fired from a job i always love to switch to a new industry so real estate was always something that really interested me. I didn't get to see it from the single family side, which I think would be really cool. The office building side was really intense. Like the amount of money that goes into one of those buildings and all the yes. stuff you got to put into it. And then how much, how difficult it is to lease that stuff. It was just crazy. But it led me to, to at least meet a lot of people in the real estate industry. And uh, I'm sure, as you know, like the, sometimes the public perception isn't so great on the industry itself in terms of like, there's a lot of people doing it. So there's a lot of bad apples kind of ruining it for the rest of you guys. What made you decide to go start doing door to door, -to -door as your like main uh, method? What, what gave you that idea? Is that a Zig Ziglar thing? Cause he did, he used to do that right <laughs> back in the day, but he, he'd live in a while, a place for a while. Right. Well, I mean, Zig Ziglar does tell a story. I've tried to go back and find it about knocking on doors every day for a year. That's a whole lot. I, I didn't hear about that till just a couple of years ago. But the reason I knocked on doors was because that first couple of months I was in real estate, I was in a training program for my company, which is called the banker at the time. Mm -hmm. There was a real estate coach at the front of the room one day. And he said, this is a very simple business. You must talk to people. You can either knock on heads or knock on doors, uh -huh. pick one. And I thought, you know, knock on heads, meaning, you know, talk, call people, you know, and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm a UCLA grad. I've worked on wall street. I've done startups. I'm not knocking on doors. This guy is out of his mind. Uh, I'll knock on heads. <laughs> um, but then what happened was two months later, I had nobody to talk. I just didn't have enough people to talk to. And I thought I should try this knocking on door stuff. That is literally how I started knocking on doors. 
Um, were you scared at first? Because it seems like it's probably out of your wheelhouse at that point. It was out of my wheelhouse. That is not my thing. And I tell the story in my book. But the very first time I went to go knock on doors and didn't go so well. And I was terrified. And, you know, my heart, you know, you're written. That was a long time ago. And I've knocked on so many doors since. But I, I distinctly remember the feeling of my heart literally popping out of my chest. I was absolutely terrified. Fortunately, the woman answered the door, uh, said no, and then shut the door on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's and an easy, easier to, one to take. It was the easier one to take. And I, and I didn't even go to the next door. I went home um, and that was it for the day. I'm like, oh, that was terrible. So yeah. it didn't start off so good. Uh, it's funny because I'm sure most of that was built up in your head so that her no wasn't even that bad, but like you had, had made it such a um, stressful experience for yourself that uh, it probably seemed a lot worse than it was, you know? Well, that's very well said and accurate because I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know what the process was. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. I will give myself credit for getting out there. And I would give myself credit for going back out there. And those two things are true. Yeah. The great thing is those are available to everybody. You just got to, uh, you know, get your, get over yourself kind of in order to do it. Well, yeah, that you bring up a good point. There is nothing special about me. I'm mm -hmm. just an average guy who just did something not even that brilliant, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I just didn't quit. That was really it. It's honestly, that's what most people, that's what most of the problems are. I'll give you an example with podcasting the pot. So here, I'll just ask you a question to see what you think. So like um, the metric that a lot of times they go by is either when you release a new episode of a podcast, uh, what, how many downloads does that new episode get in the first seven days or in the first 30 days? That's how they, you know, uh, kind of measure it. So, but take a guess if, if you're in the top 50% of podcasts, meaning 50% of podcasts have less than this, how many downloads do you think you'd need on a episode in the first week after launching it, a new episode? hundred. Not too, you're not too far off. I mean, you're really low, which is great, but it's only 26. Wow. And then to be in the top 1% or something, it's only 3000, which is not crazy considering how like YouTube views get millions or whatever i feel like uh, once podcasting catches on like that's not that bad what it really tells me is more like there's tons of really bad podcasts so like to be the top 50 percent is not that much because the bottom 50 percent is so bad and like it's maybe one episode of some dude who gave up you know instantly like i feel like there's a lot of people who go oh man i'm gonna start a podcast and then oh shit only 20 people listened i'm all set never mind right <laughs> you no know? because you gotta just stick with it for a long time until you can get any kind of audience but um, it's just interesting because I didn't know anything about that world. And so trying to figure that out is kind of fun. So meaning like you're not going to get much in the way of listeners now. I mean, my most recent episode got like, or, or let's say the first episode I released ever has 84 total in a few months. But that momentum thing is what really does it. And also like just the fact that so many people drop out because of the low metrics uh, means it's more about staying power and creating stuff, you know? I would not disagree with that one bit. In fact, I would say your success will be determined not even by how good you are. And I'm not making a comment whether you're good uh, or bad. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, if you can make it. So how often are you podcasting? Well, so like, for example, you, you might've seen, I didn't post one in, in a couple of weeks now. That's because I'm on this weird personal journey uh, road trip thing. That's why I also had to delay this call because I couldn't find any of my stuff in this motel, motel room. But um, I'm trying to do every Wednesday at 6 a.m. have a new uh, one posted. The, the most recent one that I didn't post was going to be my first solo one, just uh, me talking to myself. And so that took a lot more mental energy than I thought. So I'm probably going to skip that and post regular ones because I probably have like five or six interviews already done that just need to be posted it's way easier to make an episode like right now we're making an episode once you hang up you're done you don't have to do anything else for me i gotta go edit it and publish it and put it on social media and all this other stuff so it's more like i just get uh, delayed because of that whole piece i already have plenty of content you know so right so I, i would assert that if you posted 40 podcasts 40 episodes this year yeah it would train, you know, and you did not miss, right? You set your uh-huh. schedule and you got to 40, even if you didn't do them all on time, but you yeah. got to 40, I would assert that would be way more impactful in your overall success than any skills you learned along oh, the way. Oh yeah. And also I, I do get a lot of skills from it, but um, you, you like Seth Godin, right? Cause that's how we met. Of course. Yep. Back in the day, let's say years ago, he said that, um, that, uh, if any episode, he'll do any podcast as long as you have a hundred episodes is what he said. Cause then he knows you're not messing around and you're actually yeah. like in it for the long haul. I recently emailed him and he responded and he said that he now no longer follows that because it's too much. But that was originally my goal was to get to a hundred just in order to maybe get him. And, and I'm still going to get him. I'll get him before a hundred. I just got to figure out better ways of doing it. Cause you know, you heard how I got my question on this thing. I also asked him a different question that he did not answer actually, but I do want to tell you and my listeners the answer if you're interested. Yes. Okay. So I asked him cause I'm sure like me, you, you, uh, I mean, you just found his podcast, I think, but his podcast yeah. comes across so well polished and like, so thought out that I, I sent him a question saying, Hey, do you, how much of it is scripted? versus not like it seems like almost all of it is in terms of like it's so well written and stuff so I've, and since he writes books i assumed he'd maybe write out an outline or something and then go through it but he emailed me back the response so i'm just going to read his email he said i don't have a script not one word i think about the arc and i do it in one take practice 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 keep leading is what he wrote so but that just blew my mind when he said he didn't plan any of it like script any of it because i hate scripts i can't read from them and seem organic but that led me to go okay i can actually do this without caring as much and so i've done an i've i've started an offshoot podcast um called yo jimbo which was an akimbo knockoff basically um it's not a knockoff it's more like i was going to incorporate my question and answer into that episode and so I was going to make it like a like an akimbo thing. And I, I even recorded a bass intro. I, I did a cover of his little bass intro thing. But um, I now that's since evolved. And, uh, and it was going to be one episode. Now it's its own podcast. So I've been a little distracted. So I haven't been posting my regular ones. But I do have a couple ready to go. I just want to listen through them again just to see if there's uh, anything that needs to be edited. Because... Uh, at first, when I first started, and I know I'm talking about mostly about me right now, but I'm just going to uh, finish at least this thought. Uh, when I first started, like, episode one of this, I was editing like crazy. Like, I was, if I heard someone say, um, or, uh, like, I would be trying to edit out those, you know? 
just to make it for some reason to me the best listening experience. But I realize with podcasts, you really want to be more natural and normal and not feel edited, you know? Correct. I, I think, you know, but you said something that's really critical, right? You said you got distracted mm-hmm. and by this other thing. Yes. And that is, I, I forget forget what the phrase is distraction is the death of something i whatever it is distraction innova- is, innovation i think maybe what, whatever it is i would assert that distraction is is the is the uh is the devil uh, because <laughs> there's always something newer better flashier shiny yeah and real estate agents are notorious for this i can say that because i've been one of them for 16 years yeah but it's not unique to real estate agents there's a million other things I could have done besides knock on doors. That is the only thing I've done for 16 years because that is the only thing that needed to get done. And I didn't have to be great at open house or being online or do anything else. I only had to do one thing and I could be, I could get really good. So back to your point about Seth Godin, the reason Seth Godin doesn't need to write a script is because he's been writing and speaking for 30 years. Yep. Yeah, that's why you said practice, 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 because that's really all it takes. Uh, he, he inspired me to go yeah. into the Grand Canyon, and I did like four hours of solo podcasting, like almost in real time <laughs> in my car. Um, but let's get back to you. So um, so you've had success with the, door, with the door knocking strategy. You wrote a book about it, right? So the book is called Doors Open When You Knock. It's a realtor's handbook for boundless opportunity and freedom. You can take out Realtor. It could just be a handbook for boundless opportunity and freedom. But I wrote a book for Realtors. So um, the people who've read the feedback I've gotten is it definitely applies, um, but it is obviously written for Realtors. And it's not about how to go knock on doors. It is about if you want opportunity and freedom, uh, it's possible but it's going to take something and it's for what it's what most people, what I found don't want to deal with, right? They just talking to strangers or interrupting people's lives or what is it? No, it it really has nothing to do with the doors. What people don't want, what people get caught up in is what we're just talking about. They just can't commit to something for more than three minutes. Yeah. Or the first sign of failure, they're out kind of thing. It could be, it could be that it could be, you know, what happens if you knock on doors for three months and nothing happens? What if you work out for three months and you don't lose the weight you thought you'd lose or you don't have the abs you thought you'd have? People get focused on the result and not the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my so this is what I, I found is to be helpful is that like, like I said with the podcast, my goal wasn't to reach X number of people or whatever. It was just to make a hundred episodes, you know? And so like, if, for your example, I, if the goal is instead of making a sale or whatever, but knocking on 100 doors, the sale will come from that. But, but if you make the goal uh, a task that you can do and you know, a hundred doors isn't impossible to complete. So like setting goals that you can complete that will eventually result in that thing, but isn't necessarily tied to the results of it. I find it's always helpful. Yeah, you can make a hundred podcast episodes. You can't control how many people download it. Yes. You can control how interesting it is to an extent. And like Seth says, you know, good ideas spread. So like if you have good content, you know, hopefully that'll 
you, you can control it in the sense that you can create some something worth sharing you know right and the but the more you do it the better you get so that goes back to what i was saying earlier i mean mm-hmm. i'll stand by this to the day i die the more you do it if you're committed to getting to 100 episodes even if you suck the entire time <laughs> who you'll be at the end will be something unrecognizable to who you were at the beginning just from the simple fact that you finished yeah and all i learned in the, i mean like even just general technical skills like how to edit audio better and like how to publish things and other you know like there's so many tangential things that usually come along with a lot of these goals that uh you don't realize how important those are until you uh, like use it for something else you know yeah and of course you will get better right there's no doubt that if you did 100 you would be better at the end in yes. some way shape or form and you would be smarter but all i was my point was is that just by the simple act of doing the work yes. and getting yourself arranged to do the work week in, week out will make you a different human being. And yeah. that's where the opportunity and freedom comes. Exactly. I think there's a lot of musicians that I've heard of that just say, write for the trash can, like write a hundred songs. You'll get a full album out of that. You know, if you just do, if you just do it enough, cause you'll get better at it. And also, uh, you know, you're just bound to have good things out of that. Cause I've said this on the podcast before, but like human beings are much better at um, criticizing and critiquing and improving on things than they are creating it from scratch. So a lot of times you just got to create anything from scratch and then your human brain will start criticizing and critiquing and making it better. But until you have like a thing made to, to critique, it's harder to, to do that. So a lot of times it's just like create anything and then refine from there. There you go. hundred percent. So well, what are you doing uh, these days? Are you still knocking on doors or uh, I bet COVID makes it a little harder? COVID makes it a little harder. Winter makes it a little harder. So I didn't knock on doors from whatever the second week of March, first week of March until th- that whole 2020. And then somewhere in October, at least here in the front range of Colorado, it's the Denver metro area. For those that are listening who aren't from this area, the numbers were down and people, I just got a sense that when the weather was good, I just got a sense that it'd be good to go out. And so I only went, I went out for about three weeks. And then of course the numbers, the weather changed and so did the numbers. Um, but for those three weeks I was out and I only was trying to get to the people who I knew because I've knocked on 125,000 doors. At this point in my career, I work certain neighborhoods where there's still about 6,000 doors, but you know, maybe, 1,000, 1,500 of them are people who know, like, and trust me. And so I was only focused on them. And people were thrilled. You'd be surprised. Um, hmm. So, yeah, oh, so, yeah. The, um, so the answer to your question is I wasn't really, I haven't really, but when I did get out in October, it was awesome. Um, it was not the mm-hmm. reaction I would have expected. When I mentioned uh, Zig Ziglar earlier, that was a um... – a story from Seth Godin that I heard, but uh, the interesting part to me was that not only the door-to-door stuff he did, but he came up with these methods of like going to a town for a month and getting a motel room for a month and then just um, osmosing himself into the local atmosphere. Cause, cause like, uh, you know, what Seth was saying is like uh, the neophytes are people who like new stuff and want to um, try new things. Those are the easiest ones to, to sell to, to. And he was selling vacuums or something. So like a lot of uh, traveling salesmen would just go sell it to those people and then leave. Whereas he'd stay, make the deeper relationships and then sell it to a bunch more people because they knew, like, and trusted him kind of thing. 
so it's interesting to see like the different variations and and uh methods like i don't know if you knock on the same doors multiple times and how how often if that's the case but i definitely have heard things about like you know in a sales situation you got to talk to somebody or whatever seven to ten times or something before they'll buy from you so i don't know how you do that in a door-to-door scenario do you um obviously it's a cold open i imagine but then how do you foster further relationships if they don't bite in the first one well there's a lot there uh first off i didn't know that story about zig that's pretty funny about the traveling salesman but in terms of your question when i first moved to colorado at the end of 08 when i started knocking in 09 i the market and the economy were not really in good shape if you remember yeah and I just need, and I had three kids to defeat. So I needed to find opportunities to do business. So I was not interested in farming or, or working neighborhoods per se. I needed to do business. When the market finally turned around and the economy was much better in 2014, 2015, I shifted now. By that point, I had knocked, for people that know this part of Colorado, I had knocked. Parker, Castle Rock, Castle Pines North, the whole eastern half of Islands Ranch, the whole western half of Centennial, parts of Lakewood, parts of Aurora, and then Denver, all the way up into Sunnyside and um, and Berkeley. Mm-hmm. It's a long way. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a <laughs> lot of. It's a lot of acreage there. Uh-huh. So uh, by 2015, I kind of knew that there was probably about four or five neighborhoods that I really liked that I just synced with. And so from that point forward, I only have focused on certain neighborhoods. And so I see people two or three times a year. Usually it's twice. I usually get to the door twice a year, but now six, seven, eight years later, you see people twice a year. I've seen them 10, 15 times. And that whole statistic about seven to 10 times when people see you that many times, there is a familiarity there is there is it is not cold anymore mm-hmm. um, and that definitely makes a difference but of course you got to hang in there right this is the failure podcast yeah you got to hang in there because that's a long time to be going around and you don't always make a sell every time you go to someone's door in fact you rarely do yeah so what got you okay with with the rejection? I mean, so also can you explain the jai the jai piece to to the listeners? So like, because I I will then once you explain who he is, I can I can uh, relate my uh, inception story basically, but I don't think I've told that on the podcast. So uh, I met Jai Jang at the he was here in Denver. We were at a conference together, and. Oh, and say who he is, just because I don't know if anyone knows. Rejection Proof is the name of the book, is that right? Rejection Proof is the name of his book. Uh-huh. And he he has, I think you can see it on YouTube, he has 100 Days of Rejection. Yeah, and I love that. He does some crazy stuff. And it is really good if you have not seen some of I should of his. do a failure, what do you think, 30 days or 100 days? Uh, well, if you really want to test yourself, you should do 100. All right, but- I'll do that. If Jai, if Jai will have me on this podcast, <laughs> not that it matters. I meant like a hundred percent do a hundred, but at least I'm going to start doing it regardless. I got to figure out failure um, tasks though. Cause well, like, for example, I like, I, I got a bunch of musical instruments here. I got a guitar, um, a keyboard, some other stuff. So I want to do a bunch of covers of songs and I've never done music myself. I was in a band back in Boston, but I played bass 
for a, and uh, like I was the least musically talented one in the group. So I want to start making my own music. And so I think if I come up with different things that I'm not good at and possibly will fail at, I don't know if that's a good way or if I should pick things that I definitely would fail at. I think I'm not sure. I think you have to go back. I can't remember what his criteria was, but I, I would, I think the thing that makes differences do things where you're likely, he was looking for rejection. He was looking for the no. Yeah. I don't want to fail, but I want to put myself in the ability to fail and like something that's high percentage fail, like doing stand up or something, but that's harder these days. But what I wanted to do is do a series of things called the failure guide. Like, so the failure guide to stand up comedy or the failure guide to relationships and all about trying things in those realms and failing. But the point of failing is not to fail. It's to get, if it's high percentage failure things, but hopefully I succeed, you know, like that wouldn't be a, one of the hundred days that failed, so to speak, it like a success should be a good thing I would imagine, but who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I go back to this quote that I, it's kind of a weird kid. I like business. And so I read a lot of business books and I remember I might've been in the end of high school or I might've been first couple years of college. I read a book on IBM by Thomas Watson Jr. who really grew it in the sixties and seventies. And Thomas Watson Sr. was really the guy that ran it. That really, I don't remember the whole history. It's been a long time. I do remember this though. Thomas Watson Sr. has this quote, and, it's, and it is this. It is, the fastest way to success is to double your failure rate. Mm, I like that. And when I got into real estate and I got into knocking on doors, that quote came back to me. I don't know why. I don't know how. And which meant I could, I didn't have to be worried about succeeding at any given door. Now, I did turn that around after I got going. I did create a way to win at every door. Yeah. Um, but not how most people would think. Oh, can you give us some tips? Well, I mean, think about this. When I go knock on the door, you know, I have three intentions. And the first is to leave people better off than when I found them. Okay. Now, what I mean by that is I'm not some real estate messiah. Uh -huh. uh, on the other hand, I have just trespassed and interrupted someone's day. <laughs> Yeah. So I know when they come to the door, if they come, that if nothing else, I can be there to just say, have a great day and smile at them, right? Yeah. So that, 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 if that was it, that would be a win. The second thing is, as I said before, I do have three kids to feed. So I am looking for business, you know, mm -hmm. now business, not, hey, uh, you know, we're moving in five years. You know, that's completely irrelevant to today. Um, so that is my second intention. Um, but my third intention is to be of service. And sometimes, I, I mean, I've helped people get jobs. I've connected quilters. Sometimes I just give out when people need a sprinkler guy, they need a painter, they need a carpet it's person. It's good to know you a know, guy, right? It's good to know. So sometimes I'm just handing out information. Sometimes I'm just listening for someone who's had a bad day. So I'm spending an extra five minutes and it gave someone an opportunity to just say what was on their mind. Now, is that really why I'm going to the door? Not necessarily, but my intention is to be of service. And if I could spend five minutes to make a difference for that person, that happens. Yeah, that and it can only help. And maybe if they ever need somebody or know somebody who needs somebody, they might use you because you gave them those five minutes of totally unrelated stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's why, you know, what I said earlier, 
I was blown away by the reaction by people when I went back to the door. They, they as much as I missed seeing them, they missed me. Well, people are, especially nowadays, uh, are struggling for just social interaction. <laughs> of course. And right, it goes back to your, how many times have I seen them, right? I'm not just some guy bothering them. I'm not some guy pestering them. Hey, when are you going to sell your home? Yeah, because I, I have, me personally, I have a really high, um, my shields go up whenever I'm trying to get sold to, especially because I've had, me and my ex had a house and we had a no soliciting sign on the door. So if someone came to the door soliciting, I was like already upset because there's a sign, you know? So, and I just, that's also why I have trouble selling my own products because I just hate feeling salesy, you know? Yeah. And so instead I got to do what you're saying, like uh, earn, just earn their trust or, or whatever. And then this uh, author, Phil M. Jones said this really great quote, and I'd recommend him if you like getting into sales stuff. But um, he said uh, that sales isn't, you know, trying to push something on somebody, but it's, it's earning the right to make a recommendation. And that recommendation would be to sure. hopefully help them out. And so like, and I'm always trying to sell something that'll improve people's lives. And it's always worth more than I'm charging. So like, I, I got to get over myself I, in terms of like, I sometimes think of my own wallet, you know, when I'm, when I'm uh, selling to people like I wouldn't buy that for that price so it's hard for me to sell it but everybody's different obviously and like I think Seth Godin said in the recent one like if someone donates a hundred million dollars to charity or whatever for that person it was worth it was a bargain because they got what they wanted you know out of it it was an optional thing but it can sound crazy to someone who doesn't have that money, kind of money that's right so, you know it was hard for me just to even get past the fact that I hate getting sold to so me selling to people feels uh, wrong you know it's just where you're coming from yeah it's just the context from which you're operating well how'd you learn how'd you learn how to do sales like when you when you started in real real estate like what was your did you read a lot of books on how to do it right uh who, who was your um go-to people for advice on how to get better at, at selling once you got the door open yeah so the the very first thing in this and actually what inspired me to write the book was Og Mandino's the greatest salesman in the world. Who? That is Og, O-G. Uh, uh, yep. Og What's the last name? Mandino. M-A-N. I've never heard this person. So he's oh, the best in the world, and now I've not heard of him. That's This guy, he, so he wrote a book called The Greatest Salesman in the World. He wrote it in the 60s. Mandino. Okay. Got it. It has sold millions and millions and millions and millions. Of, I mean, he's. All right. Which one is his time? The greatest salesman in the world. Okay, cool. I'm going to download that on Audible right now. And I have so many, that book is just weathered. There's been, you know, I've read passages and highlighted and because it really wasn't about the tools on how to sell. It's your mindset. The book is... I don't want to to describe the whole book, but the book has these 10 scrolls and each scroll is a lesson that this young salesman must learn. And, you know, I will persist until I say, I can't remember them all now. I will persist until I succeed. Um, Love is one of the scrolls. And so there's all these things, you know, if you have love in your heart and you show up at someone's door, it doesn't matter what they say. You can love someone just because they're a fellow human being. Absolutely. And when you come from that context, you know, then 
Well, they'll feel it. They will feel it. And it's not just, it, it is a different experience. So I would say that's probably had the biggest influence. I, I think that's a good idea because like meaning when, uh, when salespeople are, are selling with their own intent, own um, goals in mind, you know, making a sale or whatever, you can tell that. And when, and you, to your point, when you're doing it for the benefit of the other person, whatever, whatever version of that is that you can provide, they definitely won't think of you as a salesman, you know? You know, it just reminded me of something else that uh, I, something that Zig Ziglar said, but I heard it through Seth Godin and, and well, I've heard it from other people, but so I've heard Seth Godin say it as well. You know, I might not get it exactly right, but it was something like, if you can't make a sale, make a friend. Yeah. And it just changes your intention when you're with someone. Absolutely. That's why I like this podcast. So this podcast, honestly, is a lot. A lot of what I'm doing here is um, selfishly trying to get better at certain things, self-improvement. One of them is listening to people. So <laughs> this, you know, makes it harder not to. Also, sometimes I'm, uh, I mumble and stuff. So it helps with my making sure I'm uh, understandable. But I think the, the better part is what you're saying is like hearing people's stories and like getting to connect with people and like uh, understand where they're coming from. It's pretty remarkable, right? It, what a gift to be in this period of time with everything that we have around us. I mean, even, even with COVID, the fact that we can be on Zoom and right, you know, if we, this was 15 years ago, this wouldn't be happening. Oh, it's crazy, right? It's just mind blowing that you can even do these kind of things. Uh, I mean, video calls are obviously something like in the 90s and stuff. I was super excited about maybe ever existing. The fact that it's in my hand and I can do it anywhere in the world is nuts. But also just the fact that like two people can can be literally talking as if there's no delay <laughs> uh, from across the world. Even I mean, I have people from England and Australia who I'm interviewing. It's just crazy. It is remarkable. It is just remarkable. Um, I dropped into the chat a couple books that I think you might like. No pressure. But uh, uh, those three, I think you'd like because they're um, sales related and really good ones. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, but uh, no pressure, of course. And if you have any other recommendations, feel free to email me later because I already bought that one you just said. But uh, oh, and there's this other book I think you might like to. Um, I'll just say it out loud so the listeners aren't like, wow, they're chatting. That's cool. So I, I said, How to Persuade and Get Paid by Phil M. Jones. Exactly What to Say by Phil M. Jones. These are both audiobooks. The first one's an audiobook only because I think it was a workshop thing. Yeah. And the 10X Rule by Grant Cardone is just a fantastic book. Have you read that or do you know? I've read that, yep. Okay, so that. cool. Yep. Um, I have you read his other one, Be Obsessed or Be Average? Uh, I parts of it. I have not finished it. Okay, no pressure. Um, and I just want to think if there's anything else, because uh, because I love getting suggestions. So um, so you said that oh oh yeah, this is the one. Um, so have you ever heard of App Sumo? Say it again. Have you ever heard of App Sumo? It's a um online software um, sales website that I spent like thousands of dollars on, but they do, they do lifetime deals. So it'll be like a, let's say like a MailChimp alternative or something, you know um, it's something like that, but then you buy a lifetime deal and you never have to pay them again. And then you can send emails and stuff. So it's like all really awesome deals and stuff. And so I've bought so much, um, just so much, random stuff that I don't even know if I need to use it yet, but it's like such a cool piece of software that I just wanted to own it, you know? Yeah. Um, but they do have this one, uh, the owner, his name's Noah Kagan. He recommended this book. 
heavily. He said it was like how he runs his company and stuff. And I don't know. Do you have any other people at your company or is it just a solo operation? Uh, I mean, I have a couple of virtual assists. I have people that help me, but no full-time employees. Okay, cool. Well, because I, I also don't have any employees, but this one is, I think it's primarily more about how to like run an organization kind of thing. But I'm going to post the Amazon link because it's really hard to find. It's, it's only in book form. It's called Maverick um, by, uh, it's called Maverick, the success story behind the world's most unusual workplace. And it's huh. all about uh, how this guy, the guy who does that software company, he structured his company based on what this guy said. And this book is from like, uh, it seems like it's an older book, like from the 80s or something. But here's that. That's enough book recommendations for the listeners because they're probably uh, bored with that. Here's a question I had about at least go to the door-to-door thing. What was your method for picking out what doors to go to? Like, meaning, did you pick neighborhoods? Did you pick certain types of neighborhoods? The answer is you're not going to like. So oh, not going to like this. I might like the No answer. one's going to like this answer. It's <laughs> not the answer that anyone wants. And the answer is it doesn't matter. What doors lo- you go to. Okay, I love that answer. I don't hate that answer. I love it. You just have to go, right? There uh-huh. is no perfect door. There is no perfect neighborhood. The only thing that's perfect is if you go. What's perfect is showing up and taking the action. That's the only thing that matters. I think that's great advice. So, but literally, you just what threw a dart at a map, or how did how did you actually? That think? is in somewhat. Well, in California, I started where I lived. That was pretty easy, and I was yeah. from California and. When I moved here at the end of 08 with my family, I knew zero people and I knew zero property. In a business about knowing people and property, I knew (laughs) neither. (laughs) Yeah. So it it, it was really like throwing the dart. And that's kind of why I got all over. And in the end, right, that worked out. In the the moment, it was terrible because I, I, you know, I was just going from neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood. I'm, you know, just looking for business. And and I did find business and it was great, but in the end it worked out because I got to know the market and the city and really the whole Metro area better than most people who've been here their whole lives. Right. So it goes back to, you don't even know the, what you're going to get. You can't even see, right. Mm-hmm. You can't even see all that is possible when you start. And I had no idea when I was starting that that was going to be a benefit. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because now I've been doing a lot of embracing like the randomness of life. And so, like I said, I was in this, uh, so I just did this road trip where I went to, um, I left Colorado. I went to Las Vegas, then to California near LA-ish, then down to Arizona to the Grand Canyon, which is where I recorded some of that podcast stuff. Then I was going to go to Indiana, but I basically got to Salina, Kansas and that trip got canceled. So I said, screw it. I'm just going to get a motel room for a week here. I didn't realize it was a a in the middle of absolutely nowhere and b uh there's not a whole lot to do but it's been nice because i don't know if you ever heard the book uh deep work by cal newport yeah i have that book it's a great one and so i figured this would be a good chance to have because the internet here isn't even that great so i'm surprised that we're doing okay with our uh our thing here but like it gives me a lot of time where i don't have a lot of distractions to just get into some of that deep work mode and uh and figure out you know some next steps yeah um but uh let's go more to the typical questions because i realize i'm mostly asking for your advice right now so um have you have you heard any of the podcasts in terms of later on there's this thing called the get out of fail free card 
I did not. I did not hear. Well, hey, you're lucky because you, at being a guest, you get a get out of fail free card, which is similar to the get out of jail free card in Monopoly. But instead, what you get to do is take this card and use it for a, a, an activity, a hobby, an interest. Uh, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, I like. Uh, I'd love to do stand up if it wasn't such a crazy uh, thing where you fail a lot. Um, but this get out of free fail free card means you're not going to fail in whatever it is. So if it's painting, acting, whatever, is there something you would pursue if it wasn't for the fact that you think you suck at it or that the failure part is too much of it that you wouldn't do it? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. This is an easy, this is a softball question for me. <laughs> the thing for me would be to dance, right? If I could dance oh, like Justin Timberlake or you can learn. Usher. Yeah. But I don't have that kind of rhythm. I don't. And, and I'm I not think you could 20. learn well, I mean, my point is like, whenever I've done this and I thought about it, I'm like, I could do stand up. I could do any of these things. Like some things I can't do working out really sucks for me. So I couldn't be a bodybuilder or something, but like, I think you could do what, what you just said. I think it's not um, outside of the realm. I want to learn how to sing. I can't sing at all, but I think that's learnable, you know? Okay. There you go. Um, but what is it that has stopped you from doing that? You think? I almost signed up for a class. It's funny that you say that last year, right before COVID hit, I said, I'm going to learn how to dance, like hip hop kind of dance. Okay. And right. then COVID happened and, and, I, and I had no interest of doing it like by myself in my, in my house. Yeah. Uh, but now that things are opening back up, I, it is something I'm still playing with. I also still want to do swing license. dancing. That's always cool. Yeah, Looking. I want to learn how to. I want to learn how to hip hop. I want to learn okay. to be hip. To go to the club and, and just drop go. it like it's hot. There you go. That's it. Uh, I think you can do it. It's not that bad. Meaning, I think I could do it too. I'm probably further along than you, just because I, um, I don't know. I was in a fraternity in college, and we had a lot of house parties with rap and stuff. So maybe I've had more experience just <laughs> trying to. But I don't. I'm. I'm in no way good. Uh, so meaning, I'd love to dance. I'd love to learn swing dancing probably, but that dancing does kind of scare me in terms of like i feel judged anything where you feel judged all the time that's why stand up so hard because like literally you're judged every 20 seconds and if people aren't laughing you're like you don't you know you're judged poorly yeah <laughs> so like the the things that have less of a like i'd be more comfortable doing in my home like you said just to get better and then and then bring it out to the world you know yeah uh yeah totally um, but is there any other ones too? So if it wasn't dancing, what would be the secondary one? Is there another creative outlet you've, like you'd play music uh, or anything? I am terrible at all those things. My brother, we're the exact opposites and uh, he's a drummer and musician and artist. And uh, yeah, cause I'm trying to get better. I want to make, um, so you're talking about like dancing to rap music and stuff. I yeah. want to make beats for rap music because my friend can rap. I just want to figure out how to make the beats. And I have all the equipment. I just don't know the process. But that's my whole thing is like fail. So I, do, I can't do the fake it till you make it. I can't fake things. It has to be authentic. But I can do the fail it till you nail it because that's the only way I get good at things. Like I'm not good at uh, almost anything, but I've done a lot of failing so much that I am good at those things now. You know, like I've done a lot of oil paintings and stuff and all sorts of random things that I never thought I could do. And the result blew my mind. But until I realized, like, just go for it. And who cares if you uh, do or don't succeed? Just try it out, you know? Absolutely. Um, 
So what is the next big failure? Meaning uh, the next thing you're going to take on that you don't, you're not so sure of how it's going to work. Like, are you going to start going to, let's say, um, car to car, you know, you'll try to sell to people in their cars. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the, ne the next frontier would be. <laughs> yeah. So the next frontier, right, is, I mean, first of all, so writing and publishing book is scary and uh, because you're putting something out there and yes. you're vulnerable. There's a lot of failure you know, because most books don't even sell a couple hundred copies. And so writing a book is definitely something scary, but there's writing the book and then there's promoting the book. Writing the book took about a year. It came out this year. Um, Fortunately, I had a strong support from people and became a bestseller on Amazon. And, and I'm super grateful and appreciative for that. But of course, how do you really get the message out and, and get the legs on it? And that's the next part. And mostly I wrote the book to get a message out and then to be out in front of people speaking and training uh, and coaching. And really the next, this next year is about knocking on doors like I used to in real estate because that's not very scary anymore. What's scary is calling up people and, and promoting my book, calling people getting on podcasts, calling people getting in front of groups of agents or lenders or title reps or other entrepreneurs. So those are the things that are what's next. And it feels like the very, very beginning of when I used to knock on doors, right? I don't, I don't have my process down. I don't have a system down. I don't really know what I'm doing. It all feels uncomfortable. You know, it, it's, it's all kind of scary. I'm not used to the rejection and I'm used to the rejection at the door. I'm not used to the rejection, something that's as personal, personable as me and my book, right? So that's what's next um, for me. Awesome. Cool. So um, I really wanted to make sure that we got into at least one or two of your failures. If there's any specific stories related to failure that you wanted to share, but most, most uh, importantly, if you can try to tie in a story of how you learned from it and maybe used it. Cause what I try to do these days when I do something good and like, <laughs> like meaning when something succeeds, I try to think of all the things I had failed at previously that, that led me to the right answers for how that eventual thing worked out, you know? So say, say more about that. So meaning like, um, for example, if I, uh, I'll just give a random example. So let's say like, um, let's say I always love having a notebook on me, but I don't have a pen sometimes. So then uh, <laughs> the failure of not ever having a pen led me to then now start figuring different ways of attaching pens to notebooks. So I always have one, you know, so like the, the lesson I learned was that I should always figure out a way of doing that. So like, your lesson could be something like, uh, you know, you went knocking on door to door and you realized that a certain opening tactic didn't work ever or something, you know, and you failed to get a lot of business with it, but then it helped you figure out what to do, you know, things like that. You know, the first example would be, um, and really I, I give credit to my, to my real estate coach. And we started working with this, there's an author, business coach, his name's Chris Foss. And he wrote a book called Never Split the Difference. And he's a former FBI hostage negotiator. And, and his company is now probably one of the preeminent negotiation consulting firms. When we started working with him a few years ago, what we learned is you know, employing emotional intelligence changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. And 
I had been knocking on doors at that, at that point, 13 or 14 years, one way, right? So I've been doing it one way. And now I was being told essentially to do it a different way that essentially the way I was doing it was wrong. And that's really uncomfortable because what I'm basically saying is everything I've done before was a failure and that's how it feels because uh, I'm supposed to be doing it a totally different way. And I have to say that it took me more than it should have to really come to grips with that, right? To accept that just because I was doing it one way for a long time doesn't mean it was good or bad, that if there's a better way to do it, it's okay. And it doesn't mean anything about me. And of course, once I can embrace that and take on this new practice or style or approach, it made a huge difference. It also gave me more freedom and grace at the door and to be with people. Um, but it was not in it, it which seemed like it should have been an easy switch was not right because I just couldn't be, I, I just couldn't get over the fact that that was accepting that I was doing it wrong for all that time uh, yeah it's it's interesting to know like the things that you didn't even think about um, that might get in the way I um I, so I don't know if you know I teach Microsoft Excel training online very early on um, someone said, Hey, your videos are awesome. And you're, and everything's great, but you say, um, and, uh, like every two seconds, <laughs> you know? And like, I had no idea. I didn't realize it. And it's interesting because until people point it out to you, sometimes you can't recognize the things that you're doing wrong. And so you probably went to Toastmasters and fixed that. I didn't even go to Toastmasters. I went through all my audio and I edited out every, um, and, uh, like I, I found out how to figure <laughs> out basically what the waveform is of an, um, and, and then I did that. Then I realized, so this is the thing. So like, that was my failure is, is uh, saying Amina, but the success would be like, if I'm, and I, I do say Amina on the podcast, cause it's just live or whatever. But in the, if I'm recording an Excel video, I'll just, if I feel an um or not coming on, instead of saying it, I just don't say anything, figure out my thoughts and then finish it. But silences are much easier to edit out than like ums and ahs, you know? Yeah. Oh, so, good. uh, like, so that most of my lessons in life are for me fucking up a few times and then learning something from it, you know, that is it. That but is I, li I like your story. I think yours is also something that like, so Tony Robbins and, and Seth Godin and all those people, uh, actually I'll read an, a little quote here from, uh, Tony Robbins about it, because I think it, it would be helpful in terms of thinking about, I like things with math and percentages, you know, especially when it comes to failure. Cause you know, it's a percentages game for like knocking on doors and all that other stuff. Um, but here's a Tony Robbins quote. Sure. I'll just read it out. Uh, it's like a paragraph. Um, so here's, here's the third key element to the ultimate success formula. Once you know what you want and you get yourself to take action, do your actions always work? Of course not. Most people in life fail much more often than they succeed. In fact, the most successful people are the most successful people because they fail more often than, than anybody else. I mean, think about it. Think about in baseball. In baseball, a Hall of Famer, someone who's the best in the world at what they do in the area of baseball, they fail seven times out of 10. How'd you like to have a life like that? <laughs> Bottom line is to get into the Hall of Fame, they only succeed about 30% of the time. They fail more than 70% of the time. And you know what? That's how life is too. Hey, listen. In doing this taping with you and talking with you personally, I may not sound elegant all the time because I don't care, but what I want to do is get across to you a message. I want you to get the message in your gut. 
That's what matters to me. If I say something, it doesn't work. I just move on to something else. And I ask you to try to do the same thing in life. Most people in life, out of their fear of failure, don't try anything at all. And that's ultimate failure. You got to get yourself to take action. You got to get yourself to follow through. And you got to be willing to notice whether it's working or not. And that's step three. Notice what you're getting from your actions. In other words, you know what you want. You got yourself to take action. Now notice, is it working? Am I getting closer to my goal or further away? That's the full quote. And I think it's just a fantastic way of looking at it because uh, a lot of times people are so scared of failure that they a, don't try, but also they're not prepared for that much failure either. You know, like 70% right. of the time is not good. It's more than half. <laughs> right. So uh, what would you say your percentage rate was of success? Um, in terms of the doors, I averaged about 150 days a year. Did I get out every day that I said I was going to? No. But did I get out more than 80% of the time? Yes. And so, you know, that's a success, even though there's failure, you know, I'm, yes. not, I'm not perfect. And did I, was I perfect at every person that came to the door? No. Of course, there's times I flubbed. There's still times I <laughs> mess up, right? Because Absolutely. that's just part of being human. But, uh, you know, most of the time someone comes to the door, you know, it averaged about, uh, you know, 20, 20, 22% of the time someone would come to the door. 30% of the time people are home. That's never changed, but not everyone, you know, you know, someone's home yeah. because you're walking down the street and you see, you know, seven houses ahead, you see them pull into their driveway and go yeah. into their house. And so like, when you get to, when you get to the door and they don't come, right. They, so they're home. Like, <laughs> you're saying so like 30% versus 22. So like one in four of the people who are home aren't even going to answer the door. Yeah. Okay. And then yep. from then on, a success would be just making a connection with that person probably. Yeah. And that probably happens. So of the 20 people say that came to the door on a given day, I would say half of them was some sort of a conversation. Like it was more than, hi, my name's Steven. And then they shut, you know, then they yeah. shut the door or whatever. You know, I, it was more than 30 seconds. And so of that 50%, so say 10, maybe half was some sort of meaningful conversation right, that lasted more than a minute or two. Yeah. And right, that's, you spend two or three hours and you, and you have only, only, I use air quotes. Yeah, yeah five you know that could be deemed as a failure to some people but that's just not quite how it works actions what does it you know it's not all about uh the results or try to make it not about the result because i i I have a problem with expectations and so i love trying to set low expectations in my mind there's a saying expectation is a is a when you have an unfulfilled expectation is a guaranteed way to be upset yeah (laughs) And you get happier the lower that expectation was. Like the the surprise of the result is way better based on how the disparity between uh, the expectation and what you felt or like what you would feel. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so we're basically almost out of time. Uh, do you want to make sure you can point our listeners to anywhere specifically to find you these days? What's the best place to go? So I'm not a social media person, so... Although I have a so I have social stuff, my niece does it. So if okay. you want to find me, the best place to find me besides out at the doors is at my website, 
doors open when you knock.com. That's a nice doors website. Open when you knock.com, you can find info on the book. You can get a hold of me. Uh, you can find stuff I've written, other stuff I've written. So that is the best place to find me. Awesome. Um, also, I want to mention, I've never mentioned it on the podcast, but um, since you said it, I have a phone number, 530-FAILURE. So if you call 530-FAILURE, anybody who's listening, and uh, I'm right now it's connected to my cell phone. I'm going to probably disconnect it. But you'll be able to leave voicemails. So any of the listeners out there who want to leave a voicemail, a question, a thought, whatever, uh, share your own failures. I'm happy to uh, to listen to it. You may be on the podcast, so just fair warning. But yes, if you call that number, it automatically records, and you can try that out. Um, for you there, uh, I'm going to actually put the uh, uh, sorry for you meaning uh, Stephen. I'm going to put the show notes to reflect all those things. But if you want to send me an email with all the, all the links you'd like, uh, I can really do that as well. And yeah, um, awesome. And thank you so much for being on the show. And thanks for reaching out because I, I appreciate it. I don't do enough uh, outreach. So <laughs> I appreciate that for sure. Well, ben, thank you for having me. Thank you for making the time. And you know, thank you for having the courage to take this topic on. Well, I hope you have much more success in everything you do. And, uh, and I look forward to seeing what that is if we uh, keep in touch. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time. sort of a little Easter egg to anybody else who's left after the bumper at the end. If you want to send me any direct mail, it's ben at pod.fail. Again, that's ben at pod.fail. Please let me know how you're liking or not liking uh, the podcast so far. If you have any suggestions or just any feedback would be fantastic. Thank you.